is an Odyssey original. This is Coronavirus Daily. I'm Mike Simpson from the KNX Odyssey Studios in Los Angeles. If you've been putting on some pounds during the pandemic, and look, a lot of people have because of lockdowns, some new research might have you headed back to the gym soon with a mask on safely, finds even just a little bit of extra weight could increase the risk of getting really sick from COVID. We'll get into why the virus hits overweight people so hard. Local lawmaker in Southern California dives into the world of vaccine conspiracies, asking if the tracking chips are in the COVID vaccines. We will talk to him. More people taking vacations again now that they're vaccinated, especially older folks, not inviting their children. They're taking the grandkids instead. We've talked about a shortage of restaurant workers so bad that some restaurant owners, they're turned into robots for help. Let's get into the virus, though, and people's weight. Dr. Darius Mosafarian, cardiologist and dean of the Tufts Friedman School of Nutrition, Science and Policy. Rob Archer and I talked to him about so why just a few extra pounds can be so dangerous. Well, you know, COVID is a really unusual and dangerous virus because it not only attacks the lungs, but it attacks the, the lining of the blood vessels. And it also thrives uh, in, in settings of inflammation. And obesity, diabetes, and related conditions are diseases where the, the blood vessels uh, are less healthy, the endothelial cells lining them are less healthy, there's low-grade inflammation throughout the body. And so COVID is like pouring gasoline on a smoldering fire you not only attack the lungs, but you really attack the whole body. And so this is one of the great, uh, so far, missed opportunities to, to try to, to, to tackle COVID is to get, to get healthier. When we say a little extra weight, what, what do they mean in the study by a little extra? Well, in this study, they looked, they had a large population from, from England, hundreds of thousands of people. And, and when they looked at weight, they saw that, that, you know, any increase in body mass index, which is kind of an overall, um, you know, sign, sign of excess weight, kind of in a, in a stepwise way leads to higher risk of poor outcomes with COVID, hospitalization, being admitted to the ICU or death. So, so not getting infected in the first place, but having a bad outcome. So basically, every unit of BMI, which is approximately you know uh, five, five, five or ten pounds on an average person, every five or ten pounds, risk went up again and again and again. Now, what do you say to people who uh, might answer that? Uh, hey, I'm fully vaccinated. I, I don't need to lose any weight. Well, you know, vaccinations are, are certainly a lifesaver and fantastic. I think that, you know, first, we don't know what's going on with some of these new variants like in India. And is COVID going to be with us for years or not? We're not sure. Second, it's not going to be the last pandemic. This is actually the sixth viral pandemic in just the last decade. It just happens to be the one that's hit the United States. We've, we've missed the other one. So more are coming. And most importantly, even without COVID, you know, obesity, diabetes, cardiovascular diseases are the top killers in, in the United States. And so even if you don't care about COVID and you're vaccinated, you know, type 2 diabetes, which is the major disease linked to obesity, is the number one cause of blindness in people under age 75. It's the number one cause of below the knee amputation. It's the number one cause of kidney failure. So we all have a lot of reason to, to try to be healthier. The study also found that it was the younger age group that was at higher risk based on weight. Is that surprising? to you? Because most people would, I guess, think it goes the other way around because age is also a risk factor. Yeah, well, this is actually something that's that's not surprising. And it's a difference between relative 
differences in risk and absolute differences in risk. And so think of it this way. If you're pretty young, you don't have a lot of other risk factors. You don't have cardiovascular disease. You're not, you know, you don't have have, uh, other immune diseases. So the relative impact of, of greater weight is bigger. If you're older, you have all sorts of other things going on. You might already have type 2 diabetes, high blood pressure, cardiovascular disease, other diseases. So the relative impact of extra weight is smaller. The absolute impact is still bigger if you're older than if you're you're younger. And so this is just a, a very common thing. And it's true for hypertension. It's true for any risk factor for disease. If you're younger and you have a risk factor on a relative basis, it's going to be more problematic for you because you don't have anything else going on. Um, but as an as, as an absolute risk factor in terms of you know how much your absolute risk goes up, um, it's worse in older people. And this has kind of been a problem in America for a while, even before the pandemic, right? That uh, Americans were just a little bit too overweight. Well, not just a little bit. Seventy percent of American adults are overweight or obese. Seventy percent. Fifty percent of American adults have diabetes or pre-diabetes. And if you put that together with blood cholesterol levels. Uh, only 12% of American adults are metabolically healthy. So, so COVID is, is in, in truth, uh, a fast pandemic on top of a slow pandemic, a 30-year pandemic of obesity and type 2 diabetes. And those two pandemics are interlinked. And so this is a massive, massive problem. The biggest health economic uh, issue facing our, our nation today. And so I think we have to get healthier because this is not a sustainable course. And, and, you know, the message is positive. It can be done. We, we can get healthier. We just have to really, you know, change, change the systems to make it easier rather than harder for people. All right. Dr. Darius Mozafarian, cardiologist, dean of the Tufts Friedman School of Nutrition, Science and Policy. There's a supervisor in Orange County here in Southern California got into the whole vaccine skepticism issue. Went viral online because he went down the rabbit hole of conspiracies, asking the county health director if there are tracking chips in the COVID vaccines. Health director started to laugh and then said, of course, no, there are no tracking chips in the vaccines. Rob and I talked to that supervisor, Don Wagner, who said, no, he doesn't actually believe in vaccine conspiracies. And I think you can tell from from my voice, there is some kind of, you know, just bizarre, he- you know, hesitancy at such a bizarre claim. The fact is, we heard from three different people, which... Of course, none of these commentators made it in the clips that have, you know, hit the hit the press asking these questions. And the uh, the truth is, we've heard lots of crazy rumors um, that we're coming up with vaccine passports and forced vaccinations and going to vaccinate kids without parental consent that we're doing tracking. And then along comes these injectable microchips. I was leading chow through those to knock all of them down. I. Uh, myself have been vaccinated. There's no chip in the vaccine. Um, but this has been out in the community for, for months. The Orange County Register ran an article talking about it. There have been some uh, fact checks. Reuters did one a couple of months ago debunking it. But we've got people coming to our meetings. We've got, oh, thousands of emails and calls on all of these different conspiracy theories, this was a chance to debunk them. Good Lord, no, I know there's no microchip. You know why I'm asking, though, because it, it did blow up <laughs> on the Internet, because they say, look at this supervisor in Orange County. Right. He represents 600,000 people, and look, he's a conspiracy theorist. So, no, you do not believe any of this stuff. Of course, of course not. We were responding to the conspiracy theorists, Dr. Chow and I. The journalism out there on this, and obviously not you guys, you're getting both sides of the story. The journalism on this has been very uh, detrimental to the entire effort to get the public 
vaccinated. I was initially just going to laugh it off because it is so preposterous. But in talking with our healthcare agency and talking with Dr. Chow, we worry about this sort of disinformation and, and sneering at the people who, though wrong, have concerns and aren't going to get the, vir- the, the vaccine. We need to address those people, not call them names and, and not hear their concerns because we want to allay those concerns and get them vaccinated. You know, I think it's also a matter of I I think we've gotten used to in the past uh, couple of years or so politicians saying really dumb things and even some members of Congress spreading conspiracy theories now. So I think people saw the clip, just that part of the clip and not the whole meeting and thought, oh, there's another one with a dumb conspiracy theory. So with that in mind of knowing that, you know, people are going to take just a small clip out of context, uh, would you have phrased your question differently? And would you have had to do that for all of the questions you asked just in case somebody took a snippet well at, at this point i'm thinking about asking dr chow whether it's true that the abominable snowman family that the vaccines were tested on all died and whether you know johnson and johnson was developed by a preteen with a chemistry set i mean there's nothing you can ask that isn't going to be twisted taken out of context um, i'm going to continue trying to get as much real and good information out there I've been vaccinated. I put that on my social media page. Dr. Chow was absolutely right in answering the questions uh, the way he did. And so uh, going forward, uh, maybe this is an object lesson to all of us, but it is also a lesson in bad journalism. And the public needs to know these vaccines are safe. And we are going to get back to normal a whole lot faster if we have more vaccine and overcome some of this vaccine hesitancy what have you heard from people other than you know microchips that you've had to explain where does the hesitancy come from is it's people live in in their own information circle and if you're in that circle you don't see what's on the outside and you are led to believe that whatever everyone on on facebook and twitter and your group is talking about is what's true there there is a lot of that there is a lot of echo chamber that is magnified by social media or maybe created and magnified by social media. The, the concerns that we have heard that, you know, are just overblown is not just the, the injection, but, you know, the idea that it's an experimental vaccine. Well, it's true. It has experimental use authorization, but the, the safety studies are fairly robust. And as I say, I'm convinced because I got the vaccine you know, but we hear they aren't safe. We hear that they're going to lead to sterilization. I've heard a crazy argument that, if, that, that everybody who gets the vaccine is going to be dead within a year. And, and it's just, it's so unhelpful to public debate, public discourse, and getting the public through this public health crisis. We're hearing that we're going to vaccinate children without parental consent. Not only is that illegal, but none of these vaccines are even authorized for children yet. It is just not going to happen. We're trying to get as much good information out there. We encourage people to, if you are able, get the vaccine and let's get on with life. You know, there's a story on our website, knx1070.com, about a school official in Florida that uh, somehow has the idea that people who are vaccinated are making other people sick just by being around them and, and doesn't want vaccinated teachers to be in a room with kids 
because the vaccine is so dangerous even in someone who's gotten it. I mean, so, so how hard is it to combat these conspiracy theories because it's like playing whack-a-mole with them? It, it, is, it is very discouraging to hear that. It is very difficult to combat these theories because I got to tell you, the, the meeting that we're talking about today that we had last Tuesday is not the first time we've had to address these concerns. It's meeting after meeting after meeting, and you just have to keep reinforcing the idea that they are safe. The science behind these vaccines, and everybody talks about following the science, and you know, and I think the governor, frankly, has picked and choose some of what he wants to follow and not others, but the science here is very, very clear and I don't care what side of the political aisle you, you sit on. It started under President Trump. It's being continued under President Biden. Get the vaccine, people. If you are able, it's safe. And we're going to get through COVID together that way. Orange County Supervisor Don Wagner. There's a new trend in travel. Has the grandparents and the grandkids taken trips together? Mom and dad? Nope. Sorry, you're staying home. Makes sense since a lot of grandparents went so long without spending the quality time with their grandkids. WBBM's Rob Hartz talked to Angie Rice, co-founder of Boutique Travel Advisors in Arizona, about the trend. It's called gramping. And now that grandparents are getting vaccinated, it's a great opportunity for families to reconnect and Simply with parents being home and kids e-learning, it's this opportunity to visit and then allow the parents to either stay home and have some privacy while the grandparents travel with the children. And in your experience as a travel advisor, some what, these multi-generational trips, skipping mom and dad, uh, where are the grandparents going? Really, it's important to evaluate the interests of the grandparents and also the interests of the children. So everybody has a great experience. And I think for grandparents, it's looking for certain interests and hobbies that you share with your grandchildren or picking up a series of books and, and emulating a experience that document something that was read. For example, a Harry Potter, um, you know, experience uh, to warrant, um, would warrant, you know, reading the books and then traveling. And we've actually done that type of itinerary on a trip to London where it was multi-gen and the grandparents took the kids to the um, Harry Potter amusement park while the parents had a nice day off in London. And Disney cruises are also fun for grandparents and children because a lot of parents are looking for a break away from the amusement parks, whereas for grandparents, it's a great opportunity for the kids to be entertained um, so they're not having to do as much of the entertaining themselves. What is a good sweet spot, though, for the age of children, uh, for the grandparents to uh, you know feel comfortable taking them abroad, and also so the kids actually get something out of it as well and remember what they did? Yeah, I think that's a good thing to consider. With some kids who are very well-traveled, it can be an earlier age. But I think right around age 10 and 12, the kids are getting more independent. And depending on the relationship with their grandkids, it becomes a great age to really start exploring those trips without mom and dad. And I also feel that, you know, especially with college age students not necessarily having the schedule and time to visit with their grandparents, it's really, you know, makes for a great graduation present for high school students going on to college, as well as college students um, prior to entering uh, the workforce, that they spend a trip with their grandparents. And for the older kids, they they like the vacations sometimes that are built around a city. So in the U.S., I would recommend a trip to New York or Boston or maybe as far south as Charleston. And again, it also opens the opportunity to think uh, about international travel when the children are older.
Thanks for joining us this afternoon. Angie Rice, co-founder of Boutique Travel Advisors based in Scottsdale. All right, short break and then more proof that robots are taking everything over, at least in the kitchen and the dining room. Restaurants, they need servers. Servers, apparently, don't need restaurants. There's a big restaurant worker shortage right now. People have changed careers, a lot of them over the course of the pandemic. Many former servers, others aren't getting back to their old jobs. So some restaurants have gotten creative. One in Florida has turned to robots to host and serve people food. Rob and I talked to Shaheen Malecki, manager of Mr. Q Crab House in Hollywood, Florida. Started off wondering what exactly the robots look like. Um, they're not uh, what you what some customers expect to see. I mean, some people think uh, we have robots here with arms and legs walking around the restaurant. <laughs> it's not a Terminator. <laughs> but yeah, so no, they're, I mean, they're on wheels. They're cute little things. Peanut at the front and Beavis and Butthead at the back. <laughs> um, Those are amazing names. The servers name, the servers name them. Um, but yeah, the two at the back have compartments on them, so they deliver the food to the table. Um, obviously, the human servants have to direct the button. They do sing happy birthday in three different languages, um, Christmas. Um, they say a few phrases, and the host at the front peanut will seat the guests at the table. So these robots sound pretty uh, intelligent. Are you worried that they might take over the restaurant? Uh, I mean, yeah, we had a, um, an incident earlier where they were uh, running around the restaurant. I don't know what uh, we never did that. Um, usually you have to press a, press a button, but they were just roaming the restaurant by themselves. <laughs> They're becoming self-aware. Uh, so, I mean, would, would you prefer a human? We've talked a lot about the restaurant worker shortage you want to hire somebody right but you literally couldn't find anybody or, or why did these why'd you get these these pair of robots i mean we we have staff but we are understaffed and since the pandemic uh, the dining it's hard um, to keep staff or even find new staff so i mean we obviously want humans definitely but the robots are a big help um like i said they take the food to the table you know they help the servers um, and we're not as tired as we were before running around the restaurant with all the food to the tables, you know. They help us out a lot. These uh, robots, they couldn't have been inexpensive, right? They had to, I mean, oh. how much of an investment were they? Oh, uh, yeah, 30000 Wow. Okay. But you were able to cover that even in pandemic times? I mean, I, mean, I, I guess they're going to last a long time, hopefully. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. They're going to last a long time. Um, where the owner's talking about upgrades, he says, "You know how you get a iPad one, two, three, four? It's to come out. Maybe we will have the arms and legs robot." <laughs> I was going to say pretty soon they're going to look like uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger. It'll take a order and say, "I'll be back." Put a little bow tie on it. Yeah, I'll be back. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> so, yeah. um. All right. Have you noticed that more people are coming in because you have the robots? Is this uh, is this like a marketing thing that uh, helps helps the restaurant that way too? Definitely, definitely. Um, we've had a lot of new customers coming in that haven't been here before, and the only reason they came in is because they heard about the robots. They want to see the robots, you know. But once they try our char grilled oysters, um, they'll be back. And how is Florida right now? What are the restrictions like, if anything? Uh, I don't think the restrictions aren't bad here. They're worse than a lot um, in other places. Here, they're not too bad. 
And uh, can we get some uh, food shipped to us here in L.A.? <laughs> it's going to stay warm. Uh, and will the robot deliver it? Yeah, I wish we had a robot that could do that. <laughs> they don't have wings yet, Rob. Shaheen Malecki, manager of Mr. Q Crab House. Uh, they're in Hollywood, Florida with a couple of robots. Peanut and Beavis and Butthead are the You names. can't beat that. There is a bar in Copenhagen in Denmark. They found a way to keep the virus from spreading while still making sure you can go and have a drink. A person pays $25 to get tested for the virus in a booth. They're given a beer while they wait about a half an hour for the results. If they're negative, they can get into the bar. People in Denmark can now be required to show vaccination proof or negative tests within three days to get into places like bars, cafes, restaurants. They offer free tests, but customers at the bar say they don't mind paying because the lines for free tests are often long. And, uh, hey, you can have your beer while you wait for your results. This is an Odyssey original. Find us on the Odyssey app, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. Stitcher.